This is Cambridge Judge Business School's online knowledge centre, with expert commentary, analysis, and insights into the issues of the day. Dinesh Damija is the former founder, CEO, and chairman of eBookers.com, one of the most successful internet travel agencies in Europe. Established in 1996, sales soared from $23 million dollars in 1999 to $1 billion dollars in 2004. One of the country's most successful businessmen, he's a board member of the Winston Churchill Memorial Trust and now directs sustainable education, tourism and real estate investment projects in India and Romania. In his leadership seminar, he addressed the issue operating in the high-octane world of the internet, and took his audience through the story of e-bookers. Along the way, there was advice, raise money when you can, use the media, research markets regularly, when to say no, and always ask the question, where can I add value? Afterwards, Dinesh Damija talked about these and wider areas. At the outset, with e-bookers, he says, he was trying to use the internet as another delivery system. The Americans had more experience, so he went to have a look. Was there a eureka moment? The United States ran travel in a different way to us. We had something called negotiated fares, and we needed to get these negotiated fares sold to the public. And once that happened in our software, that was the eureka moment. It's one thing to have that moment, but it's another thing to take to grasp and to grip and to go ahead with it. I mean, did you ever have any doubts that you were doing the right thing? Well, I, I started in November 1996, and we went public in November 1999. So there was three years of development in that, you know, that it took time to, to find out uh, if it was worth it or not. And I'd say in 12 months after I started in 1996, it was a foregone conclusion that it'll do well, in my mind. Why hadn't somebody else had a similar idea? This is where luck comes in. Because there could have been, but there wasn't. Actually, there were a lot of naysayers around who said, how stupid is this idea? A lot of my friends who, um, who owned other travel companies called me an idiot, going up the wrong tree. And I don't think there's much cross-pollination between what's happening in the States and, and in travel, what's happening in the States and what, what happens in, in Europe. Because everyone thinks that they know what they know best. You launched eBookers, one thing to launch it, but then you told your audience that the biggest thing is probably marketing. We were helped a lot by editorials and other things that the internet was um, was a good thing. And of course people could see this. I mean, you saw our, sa our sales went up from 23 million in 99 to a billion in 04. So we had to not only advertise online, but offline as well to convert people from offline to online. And People don't realize this, but they come home after work and the husband and wife are together and then they talk about what should we do. So usually they have to go the next day or the day after to a travel company or shop. They have to park their car, they have to go into a, a congestion zone, etc., etc. So here they have the conversation, go on the internet and make the booking or at least do research to be able to ask the right questions. So it was a huge Uh, advantage. And you also deliberately built a target audience, didn't you? Well, we took the three largest countries. So there was 60 million in the U UK, 60 in France, and 80 in, in Germany. That 
there's 200 million people straight there. I, I ran an airline, the sales and marketing side of an airline for the whole of Europe. Uh, it was called Royal Nepal. And I had agents in each of the countries. So in Scandinavia, the four countries there, in Ireland and Austria, you know, uh, Holland and uh, Spain. And so I knew which agents to buy for this venture because they had all the negotiated deals on hotels as well as on airfares, which means I didn't have to negotiate them myself. Is there one overarching message from, from your from your career or from, from e-bookers and, and from where you've gone since? I, I would suggest keep your eyes and ears open. Nothing is too small to look at. Don't think you're above anyone else. And just see if you can add value. If you can add value to a customer, you've got a business. One of the other points that you made to the audience was don't build a Rolls Royce before you launch. What did you mean? I meant that don't think of every angle in a business before you launch. Launch it so that you have the first mover advantage. The media helps you in promoting you, but they won't help if you're the second or the third. First is, is, is much better than, than, than second or third. At what point does, and the point you made actually, does perception become the reality? It depends on the, on the person who is thinking this. If, if it was your business, you know that it's the figures that count. If it was an outsider looking at a share price, he or she is looking at the share price going up or down. How much of that is macro, which means the country is going down, and how much of that is the business, he can't tell. So it all depends on, on, on how informed the person is. In general terms, when you, when you look around and, and you look from box to box and look tangentially across the population, are you impressed with the innovation and with the entrepreneurs that we have around today? I think a country deserves the entrepreneurs it gets. There are more innovations in some countries and less in others. And this is to do with the intellectual climate, the business climate, the funding climate, the VCs and the, and the private equity guys, and, and all that ecosystem makes a good good thing. I'd say that the UK is much more productive, and I'm not sure about this, I haven't done research, than, say, the French or the Germans. But I, I'm certain that the UK is not as productive as the US. How does it compare with India? Now, India is very productive, and the reason for that is that the pot of gold is very small compared to the UK or US, and there are many more people. We've got 1.2 billion people after a small pot of gold. So you've got to be absolutely exceptional to do well in India. So any exceptional person there will always do well here or in the States. So the, the U.S., for example, would love to get anyone who's been to II, one of the IITs or the IIMs because you've got to have more than 92 or 93 percent marks to be able to just get in. A lot of people at 90 don't get in. So it's not a five A's, it's five A double stars. The buzzwords are frugal innovation in India at the moment. All sorts of interesting developments driven by some of the things that you've just sketched out. One of the big questions, though, is, is that do you think it will ever come to the West? Do we need frugal innovation? Any innovation, whether it's frugal or not, is, is good. I mean, you see this in, in films that win awards. Some low-budget movies do really well. So I think it's, it's more how much knowledge and intelligence you put into something. I know a chap who, who makes sun lamps, you know, solar lamps, one and a half dollars in India. And he was speaking at TED, which is um, a 
technology conference in Las Vegas. Uh, he educates 7,000 kids. Now, that is real frugal uh, innovation. Not only that, none of his teachers has, he insists that they don't have a degree, and that otherwise they'll want certain levels of, of microphones, for example. You know, they just start from the bottom, and it does a great job. Dinesh Damija, thank you for your time. This programme was produced by the Cambridge Judge Business School as part of its online broadcast series. Thank you.